0: And thank you. You may be seated. And once again, today I say, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. And you say, yes, Pastor Van, let's do that. <laughs> and get your notes ready and your pen. And while you're doing that, let me tell you a story. A story that, it's a personal story, that will help us understand how to think about our passage today. Some of you know that years ago when our son Jonathan was 12 or 13 years old, he's now 20, turning 22, when he was a young teen, we, Jonathan and I did, started a lawn mowing business. I had a big commercial grade zero-turn John Deere. What I didn't have was a trailer had a pickup truck, an old pickup truck, needed a trailer to haul my John Deere tractor around, and we had a growing number of customers. And and so I found this old trailer, and I rigged it um, with some planks and some ramp planks, and it was a crusty old thing, and I hauled my big tractor all around to our mowing customers. The problem with my trailer was I didn't have a license, I didn't have a registration, I didn't have taillights. So I was thinking, I don't really... I'm not really breaking the law, um, it's farm use, you know, it's, um, it's important, I, I, I really can't buy a trailer right now, maybe there's a such thing as uh, constitutional trailer rights or something, I don't know, um, and, and so uh, on occasion, after she found out about it, my wife Janet would say, you really shouldn't do that. And then sometimes she would remind me of all of the horrible character I was modeling for our young son, that we shouldn't break the law, and you're going to get in trouble. And she was absolutely right, and it absolutely happened. So one evening, I had a load of lumber. I'm I'm kind of a pack rat, scavenger guy, and I had a pile of plywood and two-by-fours that a guy gave me, and and I was coming at 10.30 at night uh, on the bypass around Shepherdstown, and one of our fine young deputies pulled me over with his bright lights. And, um, you know, he was not impressed that I was a pastor. (laughs) And he was not impressed that I had taken the time before I left home that night fully aware of not having taillights and the problem that could come from that, I took reflector boards that I had and I bar clamped them on the back of my trailer trailer so that no one would hit me. I was living under the spirit of the law at least. (laughs) And so he wrote me a ticket and I'm telling you it did not go well when I went home. (laughs) I told you... I told you you were going to get a ticket. And, and then it would kind of turn from there. You deserve this ticket. It's about time. I've been driving that trailer for a number of years. you deserve this ticket, and, and you deserve, and so I went down to traffic court, and there's a glass window there with a, it's real thick glass, a little slot underneath, and, and, and you can pay your ticket, and I found out at that time that my ticket was a $360 fine, and I thought to myself, I'm not paying that, I am not paying 360 bucks, I am a good citizen, and, I, and furthermore, the very next day after I got that ticket, I went to Tractor Supply and I bought a brand new $1,000 trailer and I was compliant. So I decided, I found out when the day was that you could stand before the magistrate. And I could go to the judge and I could say, Judge, I'm an upstanding citizen. Now, I knew I was guilty. Oh, I knew, and I was reminded regularly of how guilty I was. <laughs> And how unfortunate it was that $360 is a lot of money, and, and you deserve it. And I i thought, I'm going to go to the judge, and I'm just going to tell the judge, your deputy did a fine job that night, and I was wrong, and I've, I did not comply with the law, and I don't disagree with this ticket at all, but I am going to plead... The court for mercy. I thought maybe they might knock 50 bucks off or something. I did have the receipt to my new, brand new tractor supply trailer in my pocket, and I was going to make sure he knew I had purchased the very next day, which I could show by the date on the ticket and the date on the receipt that I had purchased a brand new trailer. And I was standing there in the foyer in the second floor there of the judicial center. And I was waiting. The judge was running late and the big doors were going to open and I was going to be able to go in and and plead for mercy before the court. And somebody off to the side said, hey, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> so what you need to understand if you're new to us is that for many, many years before we had this building, I had a my church office was down our church office was in downtown Charlestown. We had three different offices over the course of about twelve years. And so I got to know many of the businessmen and the adjudicators and the law enforcement officials in town, and I had actually become friends with the assistant prosecutor, and he was in charge of traffic court. And there he was. What are you doing here? Well, I said, and I pointed to the young deputy who showed up, which I had hoped he wouldn't. I said this outstanding law officer gave me this. He said, let me see that thing. He tore it up, he growled at me like he was mad, and he said, get out of here. And I got out of there. <laughs> I won't tell you what Janet said when I got home. It had to do with how that w- that I didn't deserve that at all. Which fits my story perfectly this morning because you need to understand that when we open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter seven, okay, listen, I told you last week, I fully understand. Chapter seven, eight, nine, and ten. We're dealing with flour in the recipe. We're not licking frosting. This is heavy stuff. And it's in detail. We have to think Jewishly. It was written to a Jewish audience. There's major changes going on in their lives. The old covenant is going to be left behind. No more blood of bulls and goats. Now it's the blood of our lamb, the Lord Jesus. No more priest of the line of Levi and Aaron. Now it's this high priest, the Lord Jesus. As you need to understand that the reason that the new is so much better than the old is that we have this high priest who tears up tickets for us. Now my illustration falls apart, because really he doesn't just say, you're a good guy, you're my old buddy from the coffee counter, let me tear that ticket up. He actually goes before the judge on our behalf, and he pays the penalty for us, and he strikes the record in such a way that it's as though he were driving the trailer with no lights, no registration, and no license plate as though he did it, it was put on his account, and he pays the penalty, and our account is struck clear. And that's what our high priest does for us. And that's what you need to get out of chapter 7. Now what's happening in the context of our book, and we're studying through this amazing epistle of Hebrews, is that in chapter 7, the writer is focused almost completely on this one concept. How can it be that we have such a high priest... How is it real that Jesus is our high priest, but he's teaching it first and foremost to a group of people who were raised in a system where they went to the temple and they had a human high priest and they had the blood of goats and calves and lambs and they knew a system. And they were having a real hard time understanding how was it that Jesus could replace that old system. Not only that, how could this be a better system? How is it really that the new is better than the old? Because I can't see him, I can't touch him, I don't see any blood dripping on the floor. And in the old system, I could get in my head that something had to die for sin and blood flowed. And I kind of made me feel good after I felt bad about that calf getting his throat slit for my sin when that calf didn't have any sin in him. It was just blood. And I was supposed to learn from that and it it appeased the wrath of a holy God for the moment. And so remember as we look at our notes and as we turn to our Bibles that that's what chapter 7 is all about. Trying to convince the audience that this high priest is greater than any high priest from Aaron. Any high priest from the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi, remember, was the one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel that did not get an inheritance of land. They were designated to be priests. Everybody else would tithe from the produce of their livestock. They would tithe from the produce of their gardens and their fields and their sacrificial animals, would some of the choice cuts of meat would be given to them to take home for their own food. And they lived off the sacrificial system. They didn't have land with which to sustain themselves. Well, the audience understands that you have to be of the tribe of Levi and a grandson of Aaron, who was the grandson of Levi, to be qualified to be a high priest. And then Jesus comes along, and you're telling us to forget all of that and to follow Jesus? How can I do that? And so remember, as we look at our notes, now on the front part of your notes, you have last week's sermon, and you remember we only made it through the first of three of six arguments. But before that, I was telling you, and I want to remind you at the top of the page on the front, under new is better... That throughout this chapter 7, the writer is trying to convince his audience of at least three things about Jesus. Number one, how can it be that Christ is even qualified to be a high priest? He's not from the tribe of Levites, from the tribe of Judah. Furthermore, the writer wants them to see that Jesus is not only qualified to be a high priest, but he's a superior high priest. And furthermore, he wants them to know it is a necessity that you have a high priest and Jesus is the necessary high priest. And that's where our minds are supposed to kick in today because probably you didn't think about a high priest this week. But you ought to have. And probably, maybe no probably about it, about the most important thing about you is whether or not you understand if you have a high priest. And who is your high priest? Because what the writer of Hebrews is trying to show us here is that there is only one priest, our high priest Jesus, who can get us an audience in the presence of a holy God and find us acceptable there without our holy God turning us into a grease spot. Really it's worse than that, condemning us, to an eternity in hell because of our sinfulness that separates us from a holy God who cannot look at sin. And I'm pretty sure this is a room full of sinners with a pastor in the pulpit who's a sinner and we all need a high priest. So don't go to sleep today. As we continue to Put this recipe together here with the flour. We're not ready to put frosting on yet. Stay with it. And let's pick up our final three arguments, our final three discussions here as to why Jesus Christ is not only qualified and superior and necessary to be a high priest, but why it even matters in Shenandoah Junction today, the first Sunday of November, that we have a high priest. We're jumping back into our passage. We made it through verse 19. But let's pick it up. Let's let our eyes go back to verse 19, to the last half of it, and let's pick up the first uh, point for us today. It's on the back of your notes. It's Roman numeral number 4, if you like the track with the notes. We've seen already, number 1, that Christ is a superior high priest. This is earlier in chapter 7. He's our, a superior high priest because he provides a necessary perfection. You see, you got to be perfect to enter the presence of a holy God, and no earthly priest can do that for, for you. With these arguments, the, the recipients of the book of Hebrews originally would have also understand that with every argument, the writer was saying, Aaron is inferior, Christ is superior, and that graded them like nails on a chalkboard tell you number one why christ is superior because he has a perfection that you need that'll get you into the presence of a holy god that the blood of bulls could never do god's not impressed with the blood of animals and no animal ever had blood good enough to get your sin wiped away so that you could be perfect standing before a holy god number two Christ proved his superiority through his resurrection. His indestructible life is the word that the writer used. This is an indestructible high priest. And that's going to be a repeated theme in the end of chapter seven where he reminds us over and over that this is our forever priest. He's forever and ever and ever going to be and maintain our high priest. And he proved that he was worthy to be our high priest. No son of Levi ever rose from the dead. No son of Aaron serving in the priesthood ever rose from the dead and proved that he was an indestructible high priest this high priest Jesus is indestructible number three he then showed that his superiority had to do with that Christ this high priest of ours personally provides special connection with God and that's where he picks it up at the end of verse 19 let's read it again but on the other hand a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God no priest of Aaron could really get us near to God But this Jesus, the high priest, can get us near to God, in proximity to God. He connects us with God like no other earthly priest could ever do. I'm telling you, pay attention. This is really important. Number four now, on the back of our notes, Christ places us in a much better position. Christ places us in a much better position as we stand before a holy God. Let's see what he argues here, and we're in chapter 7, picking it up with verse 20 now, and we'll finish the chapter today, Lord willing. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. Now, I recognize we're jumping right into the middle of the passage, and we haven't covered the first part. It's been last week, but that's the way it works here. We got to pick it up where we left it off. And it was not without an oath. Okay, what's this oath he's talking about? For those who formerly became priests, okay, that would be Levites, the sons of Aaron who served as priests, they were made priests without an oath. There was no oath that the tribe of Levi had to take to make to become priests. Why? Because they were qualified biologically. They were born in the right family, therefore they could serve. They didn't have to take an oath. But this one, verse 21... This one is Jesus. But this one, the writer's arguing to the readers, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind. You, Jesus, are a priest forever. And that's Psalm 110 verse 4, written a thousand years before by David in a prophetic statement. And the writer of Hebrews is arguing that the fulfillment of that prophecy from Psalm 110 verse 4 is fulfilled in Christ. And the Hebrew believers and the Shenandoah Junction believers need to get that through their mind. That this priest of a different order, the order of Melchizedek, outside of Levi is qualified to be a priest because God swore him into the office and he made an oath that he would serve in that forever. So to our notes, he places us in a much better position. How is that? Because he's a higher high priest with the fact that letter A, we have the father's oath here, substantiating his position. We have the father's oath The Aaronic priesthood, he's arguing, is inferior to Christ because it had no such oath from God in its origin. And then notice the key word in verse 21, that you then will be a priest forever. That's what God swore would happen. Now, does God have to swear an oath? He doesn't, does he? And and so what's going to happen is, we're going to see it again in just a few verses. God knows he's dealing with people, and what do people do? People lie. People lie like rugs, man. They say they're going to do something. They never do it. Or people say they're going to do it and they know they're not going to do it. They don't even want to do it. They want to deceive you. People are sneaky and snaky and liars and you can't trust them. And so you got to get them to sign an affidavit. Or you got to get them to sign something that's notarized. You got you to gotta make sure that there's some way to, to show that they indeed made that promise. Well, God can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And so uh, when you look back at chapter 6, verse 17, you ask yourself, why is it then that God would say, I have sworn an oath? If God can't lie to begin with, why doesn't he just say it? Well, because he's putting this in our brain. It's for our brain, not for his brain. Look at chapter 6, verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, that would be the Jewish people, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Why did he do an oath? Because he wanted to convince them more convincingly, using the word redundantly. He uh, Let me convince you how I want to convince you that I'm telling the truth. I'll swear an oath. It goes on in that passage, and you can turn back to chapter 7. It goes on in that passage to say that he swore the oath in his own name because there's no name higher than God's own name for which he can swear an oath. Like if you're in a court of law, which I almost was, you put your hand on a Bible and you raise your right hand and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Why do we have to do that? Because people are snaky liars, man. They'll lie. When their lips are moving, they're lying. You can tell. And so God says, this is how you think, but let me tell you, I'm making an oath, and I'm telling you, I will not change this. This is certain, and it is going to be certain. Look what he says, forever. The key word is forever forever. And that comes from Psalm 110.4. Not only did I put him in a position to be the high priest, I swore him into that position with an oath. You show me an Aaronic priest, an Aaron priest, whoever swore an oath. He didn't. That's what he says in the passage. They got there because of their family name. This one got there because God himself swore him in. And he swore him in forever. I want you to start noticing now that concept of forever. You see what he says in the end of verse 21? You are a priest forever. Let your eyes be on the scriptures right now. Now look at verse 22. And this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Now just stop for a minute and realize that if you're a Jewish believer that's struggling with your faith and struggling with going back to Judaism and the teacher is teaching you that there's now a new covenant, this is the first time in the passage that the concept of a new covenant is being being talked about. And in fact, get your minds ready because that's what chapter 8 is all about. Chapter 8 is because their minds just went crazy when he said there's a better covenant. Wait how can there be a better covenant? We're of the children of Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Moses. How can there be a covenant? Ah, but there's a better covenant. There's a new covenant. And so he's going to have to spend all of chapter 8 convincing them that there is a better supreme covenant the new covenant is better than the old covenant and by the way in case you don't know anything about new and old covenant you need to thank the lord every day you're under the new new covenant and so here he goes he says you have the son's guarantee of a better covenant so not only does God swear it in as an oath, there's a new covenant coming and that whole new covenant is to put us in a new position with Christ. You don't, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, a man, a woman, a slave, or free. You can all be in perfect standing, adopted sons into the family of God under the new covenant. And it's a supreme covenant and Jesus is going to be the guarantor. He's the one that's going to guarantee it happens. He's talking in human words so that we understand the idea is this is never going to change. This is the way it is. Number five, Christ permanently provides intercession. You want to know why Christ is a better, more supreme, even a necessary high priest? It's because he permanently provides intercession. What do we mean by that? Let's read the text. Our eyes are on verse 23 now. The former priests, okay, the priests of Levi and Aaron, were many in number, There had to be many of them because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Well, that makes sense. The guy died. He can't go to work. So you got to get a new priest. And the new priest jumps in, and then he dies. And you know you're going to die too, right? You're going to die one day. And the priest died and they were humans and they were sinful men. And they had to offer, it's going to say in verse 27, he's going to remind us that the first task of a priest was he had to kill an animal to spill blood to, to show God that he was sorry for his own sin before he could even offer blood, and blood sacrifice for the sins of people. And the priest died and so there was a succession of priests and a succession of high priests. Okay, back to verse 23 at the beginning. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, who's he? He is Jesus. Our high priest holds his priesthood. Here's another reminder. Permanently, he already said he would be a a priest forever. Now he says he holds his priesthood permanently. There's a drift here. There's a theme. Because he continues, there it is again, forever, he wants us to know that this isn't going to change, people. This is the real deal. Consequently, verse 25, because of this, because we have one high priest who holds the position forever, as a result, consequently, verse 25, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost. This is why you need to care about this. He is able to save completely you can't be partially saved. You can't be saved last week and not saved next week. You're either saved, your sin is forgiven or not. You're either secure in Christ or you're not secure in Christ. The guarantor of that salvation is Jesus Christ himself who saved us to the uttermost. He saves to the uttermost who? Those who are good, those who are, do nice things. No, those who draw near to God through him, that's Jesus, since he always lives, there it is again, he always lives, it will never end, the priest forever, continues forever, permanently, always lives to do what? To make intercession for them. So here's his point. You're all hung up on leaving the old ways behind. And in their old ways system, they worshiped at a temple with an earthly priest who was of the son of the tribe of Aaron, qualifying them biologically to serve in the priesthood, and then they died. So that priest helped me, ministered to my family, helped me take care of my sin problems, but then... He died, and so I got another priest. And I'm telling you now, there is a priest who is coming. He's going to do away with the old covenant. He's going to do away with the old ways. He's a new covenant. He's a new kind of priest, and he's going to be a priest forever. He's going to hold the position permanently, and one of the things he's going to do forever is he's going to intercede for us. You see, Jesus doesn't just intercede for you once for five minutes. Jesus intercedes for you all the time forever. So you say, well, I don't know how he can do that. Well, there's a lot of things you don't know about Jesus. But what I'm telling you is it says right there that he intercedes. What does it mean to intercede? I'll tell you what it means to intercede. Here's what it means to intercede Hey, what are you doing here? Let me see that. Tear it up, throw it away, get out of here. He interceded for me before the judge. So it's a weak argument because, like I said, it's incomplete. But that's intercession. What does Jesus do? He argues on our behalf for the judge so that we don't have to go into the court and pay the stinking $360. But it's way more difficult than that. You have no right to stand in the presence of a holy God. You have no representation in the presence of a holy God. But Jesus, our forever permanent, indestructible, serving forever in a position that never ends, does this. He intercedes for us forever. You see, you might think you really pray hard for somebody. You got an adult prodigal child. You got something going on in your life that's got you burdened. You don't know how to get grocery money for next week. You don't know if your sick child is going to get well and you pray and pray and pray, but you stop praying sometimes. You go to sleep or you think about what you're going to order through the drive through window at McDonald's for a minute and you stop praying for a minute. But Jesus never, ever, forever stops interceding on our behalf. And what I want you to see, and we're going to see it even more under the new covenant and under the new sacrifice system that he's talking about later, I want you to see that this priesthood of Christ is permanent and the permanence of Christ's priesthood, we jump down to letter B under Roman number five, the permanence of Christ's priesthood is foundational to the permanence of our salvation because his intercession on our behalf never stops. You can look up Romans 9. You can look up Hebrews 8. He reinforces, that, reinforces this whole concept that he makes intercession on behalf of his people. To make sure you filled in the blanks uh, number five, Christ permanently provides intercession. He's superior to the Aaronic priesthood because their priesthood, not letter A, was transferable. When people died, it would transfer down to the next priest. Joseph- Josephus, a Jewish historian says in his records that 83 different priests served from Aaron to the destruction of the temple in AD 70 after Christ's life. The Talmud says there were like 340 high priests. I don't know who's right. The point is, there were many, many high priests, exactly what the text says. They served in succession, and it was transferable down the priesthood until Jesus comes. The old way is gone. There's a new sheriff in town. He's a new high priest. He doesn't look like the old high priest. He doesn't act like the old high priest. He doesn't do like the old high priest. And he's our forever high priest. And he makes intercession for us. Show me, please, raise your hand, student, if you can show me which one of the sons of Aaron made intercession for you forever and ever. None. Ultimately, they would fail you. Jesus will never fail you. Number six, Christ in perfection provides substitution. Now, what do we mean by that? Christ in his perfection provides substitution. Well, the fact of the matter is the only people who are allowed to stand in the presence of a holy God are people who are perfect. Okay? So you do know that if you could keep the law, you could go to heaven. All right. Now, the point is nobody can keep the law. All right. And if you raise your hand right now and say, I can keep the law, you just broke the law because you can't keep the law. And you said you could keep you could keep the law, but you can't keep the law. So you just told me something that's not true. And so the law is there. Remember, remember last week, the six foot level that I held up, how the law was there to show us how we were crooked. And I said, the law separates us from God. What I meant by that was the law shows us how we are apart from God and the law can do nothing to get us to God. But Jesus comes along as our high priest and he substitutes himself in our place and provides the necessary, the necessary perfection as a high priest substituting into our place. Now it's like the writer now at the end of the chapter, okay, remember, remember what we've been doing here. He's been arguing in all of chapter seven how... Christ qualifies to be a high priest how he is uh, worthy as a high priest and how he's necessary as a high priest convincing the argument and now he's going to bring this argument to a close and he's going to shift over because he knows he already upset him he just said there's a new and better covenant coming and now he's got to spend a whole bunch, bunch of time telling him how there's a new covenant that's better than the old covenant in the same way that he showed him there's a new high priest that's better than the old high priest's And so he ends this section with sort of um, a resume of, of our Lord Jesus one more time. Sort of credentialing Jesus one more time for them. Look what he says in verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Why is it fitting to have such a high priest? Number one, because he is holy. That means he's sinless. Show me a priest from Aaron who is sinless. You can't do it. Sinless means In the Greek word there for sinless or holy, without sin, is the idea of an inner purity. You know, most of us do a better job of being clean on the outside than we do on the inside. But our Lord Jesus is clean through and through. There is not any sin in him, period. Number two, he's innocent. Not only is he not holy, but he's innocent. What does innocent mean? It means it's the idea of blamelessness. He is blameless. There is not one accusation you can make against him. He is free from any evil. He is free from any guile. Show me an old covenant priest that you could say that about. You can't do it. In fact, we, had, we can actually parade before them like corrupt politicians. We can parade corrupt priests before them. But we cannot find any corruption in our wonderful Lord Jesus not only is he holy, but he's innocent, and he's unstained. Notice that he's unstained. That means pure. He's pure. The idea there in the grammar means that it's, there's the absence of any legal or moral pollution. The point is that Jesus is absolutely free of anything that would ever disqualify him from being a priest. You can never disqualify him. So you think it's not a big deal not to be under the law. Let me talk a little bit... Um, Um, my mom would say, this isn't pretty, okay? My mom used the word pretty. She would tell me my shirts were pretty. Thanks, mom, I love wearing pretty shirts. (laughs) This isn't pretty. Kay would say, this isn't pretty. If you were a priest and you stepped in dog doo-doo, you were not clean anymore. You were unclean according to the law, so you couldn't lead in worship, all right? So what's the idea here? Jesus is pure. He's unstained. There's no dog doo-doo that he could step in. You think it's not a big deal to be underneath the law, under the law? You had to come to church today and you didn't check the bottoms of your shoes. You think I'm making this up? Read the book of Leviticus in your free time. You'll enjoy that. Read the book of Leviticus and find out all the laws that you can't keep. Find out all the ways that you become unclean. Find out all the ways that the priests were looking to try to make sure you kept the law. They themselves couldn't keep the law. And little things, that's my point, shaking hands with somebody who wiped their nose with the back of their hand and they didn't, weren't careful and now you got an unclean hand and now you, you got problems. Maybe you woke up and you had a hair with a white spot around it. And it's red. Oh man, it looks bad. Take it to the priest. Show it to the priest. The priest looks at your festered hair and says, you have a skin disease. You have to leave home. You have to go live outside the community until you're healed from that skin disease because you're unclean. I don't know if you're worried about your skin this morning or not, but you didn't think about being unclean when you came to church. And there's only one reason why you didn't think about being unclean before you came to church. It's because there was someone, a high priest named Jesus, who took all of your uncleanness and he cleaned you up and he paid the price for your uncleanness. Because you don't deserve to sing praise to a holy God because you've got filthy lips. But our high priest took care of this for us in the new covenant. You think the new's not better than the old? You see, they got to get it through their heads. We got to get it through our heads. This stuff really matters. About the most important thing about you is whether or not Jesus is your high priest. Because if Jesus isn't your high priest, you've got problems. And so he's sinless, he's blameless, he's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained and pure. There is nothing, no dog doo doo that Jesus could step in that could ever disqualify him from being a priest. He goes on to say next that he's separate from sinners now what does that mean he is separated from sinners well he's in heaven we're on earth is that what it means i don't know i read my commentaries every one of them has a different opinion i'll tell you what i think in the context of emphasizing and and credentialing this high priest with all of his purity what does he say what does a high priest deal with who does a high priest deal with a priest deals with sinners Remember the illustration? Like some people practice getting in a box with a curtain and they're the sinner and they're telling the priest their sin and somehow their sin gets transferred to him and he transfers it to Jesus. It's not biblical. But what is a priest dealing with? A priest is dealing with sinners. So is there any way our high priest in dealing with sinners with maybe pussing skin sores and dog poo on their feet, which is a metaphor for all the nasty sin that we get into? Our high priest can never, ever, even when he deals with us as sinners, can never be corrupted. He is separate from sinners, and sinners cannot rub off on him. He maintains his purity. No contact with sinners can corrupt him. Number five, he is exalted above the heavens, and that's a statement about his greatness and his authority. Praise God. You want to tell me that Levi and Aaron and any priest from Aaron is exalted above the heavens? No, they are not. I'm introducing you uh, to you a new high priest who is exalted above the heavens." For the law, he said, then verse 27, "He has no need like those high priests. To offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself, what does that mean? That's mean under the new covenant with the new high priest. There's no more repetition. There's no more repeated sacrifices. There's no more blood flowing in the streets when when they gather for the time of the feasts. and the, Once for all, Jesus crawled up on the cross and gave his life up for up and he heaped the sins of the world upon himself and he alone becomes a worthy sacrifice and his blood doesn't just cover in a demonstrative way or illustrate as the blood of a bull would do that someone sinned so something had to die and the blood is a covering but his blood does what? Cleanses us from all sin good it says and he did this once and for all again the statement of forever there it's done once and for all forever it'll never end christ in his perfection is the substitute sacrifice so not only is he the high priest think about that but he's the sacrifice too that's amazing five defining characteristics about Christ's superiority there but there's one defining reality about Christ in providing salvation and it is in that sentence he did this once for all when he offered up himself. You see why you need to care about Jesus? Here's another reason why you shouldn't use Jesus Christ as a swear word because he is our sacred holy high priest Forever. And ever. Amen. You see how wonderful our Lord Jesus is? That he is the guarantor of a new covenant. He is the one who can fulfill the role before a holy and perfect God as a high priest that none of the tribe of Levi, none of the Aaronic priests could ever maintain. And he is the one who fulfilled the promise in the text, that the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind and you are a priest forever. So he never stops interceding for us. He never takes a break. And for all of eternity, he will maintain our status with the heavenly father because he is our high priest. It's amazing. So one thing you ought to get out of this this morning is that um, with Christ as our high priest, we're not under the law. Now, he didn't make the law worthless. We'll talk more about how the law fits into our lives eventually. But aren't you glad you're not under the law? I've already kind of illustrated that with the sore and the poop. But let's take it a little further. Let's take it a little more personal. Let's take it a little more dramatic. Let's take it a little more deep sin. I wonder how many in our three services this morning have ever committed adultery. I wonder how many fornicators have been here today. I wonder how many deep-seated liars have been here today. Let's just talk about the law and adultery. Let's talk about young people who have cursed their father and mother. Under the law, you should have been taken out by the city gates and stoned to death. As an adulterer or an adulteress, as was illustrated in the New Testament story, where Jesus intervened with the adulterous woman and the men were picking up stones to kill her, Jesus begins to write in the sand, Some people think he was writing their names because they had been with her maybe. So you, you, you committed adultery? What are you going to do? Take you out to the city gates and stone you? No, you run to the cross and you shower in the blood of Christ. And the blood of Christ, our sacrificial lamb washes us clean as snow. And our high priest represents us before the Father as pure and holy. And our sinfulness is transferred over to him. And his righteousness is transferred over to us. And we have standing forever and ever with our heavenly Father. Because we have a forever high priest. And he will never Never change and he guarantees it's all true you think you're not glad you're under the new covenant if you haven't thought about it you better start thinking about it because otherwise you should be under a rock heap somewhere out on the edge of the village a long time ago when you were about 19 and a college sophomore secondly christ is our high priest and we can have peace with god romans 8 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, it, it, let me tell you a verse that you know. John fourteen six. If you know it, kind of say it with me. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me." Saying, you got to come through Jesus. That's what he's been arguing in this whole chapter. You can't get there with the blood of goats. You can't get there through the Aaronic priesthood. You can only get to the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ, your high priest. That's why you need a high priest. And you need to be at peace with a holy God in your sinfulness. And let me apply witness. Okay, so this communion table, this communion table has rollers on it. And we roll it out and we put it over there and we bring your casket and we put it right there. And many times we've had our beloved saints right here in the casket. I actually like having funerals here in the church. Some people don't like to because it brings back memories. But I want to tell you it's a great day when there's a saint in the casket because they're at peace with god because see you don't know you're going to throw a clot it goes in your lung and then you throw another clock and clot and it's in your knee and then you throw another clot and it's in your brain and the next day they got a pipe down your throat and the next day you're brain dead and the next day you're at the morgue and two days later you're in the box right here and the greatest thing that can ever be said about you at that point is for your family to say we're going to see him again because he's represented by the high priest in heaven that's how you see so you better care about this stuff. You better not come up with some wacky zony system uh, that that's on your own. That is an old system. Like, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, I think that I'm a pretty good guy. I'm going to go to church. I had a I had a girl in my office just the other day. I said I said if you stand before God and you and and God says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? And she said, Well, I have been. I I am really true to my values okay, I'm not sure we have time to talk about your values here today, but you're really true to your values. And she thought that was a really good thing. It probably is a good thing. I got standards and I keep my standards. Well, where'd you get your standards? Well, I made them up. And she said, I'm really true to my values and God knows I'm a really good person. And as gently and as kindly as I knew how, I tried to show her that God didn't think of her as a really good person. But that there is a high priest available who is a good person. And he's not only our high priest like today, but he's a forever high priest. He's permanently positioned under an oath by his heavenly father and he will guarantee your goodness before the Holy Father. And you can be at peace with God today. And I would say... Uh, fathers, heads of households here. It's much more important when you have your children gathered around the casket for the last time that, that it's much more important that they know that you have a high priest named Jesus uh, interceding on your behalf forever and ever than it is that you leave them any, any loot. So the question is, is Jesus your high priest? Is Jesus your high priest? If Jesus isn't your high priest, will you run to the cross? I mean, we say that metaphorically, right? We say we can't get to the cross anymore, but that's where Jesus intersected a holy God and a sinful world and he took the sins of the world upon himself. And that's where we go and by faith we can accept as complete the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because you can't muster up enough goodness. You need a priest. You need a high priest to represent you before a Holy Father and praise God for this wonderful priest with an indestructible life who serves forever and he guarantees that God will keep his promise. That's kind of funny to talk like that, isn't it? So is he your high priest or not? I invite you today. Here's how you make him your high priest. In your heart, With your head bowed, you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I can't enter your presence, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Will you please forgive me of my sin and wash me in the blood of Christ? And that's the beginning of a whole new relationship under the new covenant with God that lasts forever. And as long as Jesus is making intercession, which is forever, that's how long you're gonna be saved. That's how long you're gonna have access to the presence of God forever. Praise God, amen? Well, let's stand and I'm gonna close in prayer and if you would like to meet with me or one of our spiritual leaders here down front and talk about making sure you know you have peace with God, even as I pray, will you make your way down front and you come down here and pray with us and let's make sure you know Jesus Christ is your high priest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the great teaching of your word, how vitally important it is today, just as important today that we have Jesus as our high priest as it was in the day the Hebrews read this letter in their home Bible study. Father, would you work in our hearts and our lives thank you for the Lord Jesus who interrupted the law and made it possible for us to live a holy life in Christ Jesus. Raises lots of questions, Lord. So bring us back as we study our Bibles together. We recognize the value of the new covenant and the wonder of the final sacrifice and the new temple and how we worship in a different way now. We need to learn, and so continue to teach us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll be down front for.